Lord God, even as we watch that visible representation of your word and your scriptures, it's hard to watch, God. It's hard to consider the risk that you call us to. We think of John the Baptist and we think of his sacrifice that he made to proclaim the truth that you gave him to proclaim, the truth of the message of freedom. So as we look at your word today, God, I pray that you'd open our hearts, open our minds, and prepare us. Take away the clutter and the distraction that would keep us from hearing the truth that you have to speak into our lives today. We pray this in your amazing and powerful name. Amen. Amen. We're in Mark chapter 6, and it's a, it's, it's a, a passage that really declares this idea of reject or receive, which is the title of our message for today, reject or receive. And we're talking about rejecting or receiving the message of the kingdom. And the big idea for today is that the message of the kingdom can be rejected or received. And that message, could I say to you, is a message of freedom. The message of the kingdom of God is a message of freedom. But it's a message that must be received in order for that freedom to take root in our lives. The verse that, that we looked at earlier as we've been working our way through Mark when Jesus came in Mark chapter 1 verse 15 and said, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. So the the message of the kingdom, we've been looking at this as we've gone through this gospel of Mark, is, is a message of repentance. But that message of repentance is really a message and a call to freedom. Because freedom from our bondage to sin can be found only in our repentance and turning toward God and toward his touch in our lives. So as we unpack this passage that we watched and as we've read we will see that there are three different ways that we can receive or reject this message of the kingdom. The first way we see in the first six verses is that we can reject or receive the presence of the king. The presence of the king. And it starts out, our text does, in, in Jesus going to his hometown, this town of Nazareth probably. And, and so he goes to the, the town of Nazareth with his disciples. And as far as we know, this is the, the first time he's been back there, or maybe the only time. And he, he goes back to this town. And, and as is his custom, he goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath and began to teach the scriptures that were read for that day. I always pause when I stop and consider, what would that be like? What if, what if Jesus came in here and just came up and took the Bible and opened it up and started teaching us from that? What, what would that be like? Well, these people experienced that. And we get a, a glimpse into probably what, what would happen for us as well. At first, it was like, this is, this is amazing. They were astonished. And, and we've read that many times as we've gone through Mark. As Jesus begins to teach, and people get really astonished and marvel and, and wonder at this authority with which he teaches and the way that he opens up Scripture and the wisdom that he has. Clearly, he's the author of Scripture, right? It's, he's God, and so he understands what's written there. And so to unfold that for, for those people. And they... 
begin to ask these questions. Where did he get these things? What's this wisdom? What are these remarkable miracles? And so you can begin to see how it's this wonderful awe and sense of, uh, of amazement at who God is and, and what Jesus is teaching. But then the questions take a turn, don't they? And some others in the crowd are saying, wait a minute, we, we know this guy. We know this guy. What's he talking about? He's just a carpenter. He built me a table last week. He put my roof on last year. You know, and they start talking. They say, he's just a carpenter. He's Mary's son. You know, all his brothers and sisters, they're here with us. What, what was he teaching? See, he was familiar to them. And they began to think about those things that they knew were true about him. And, and they said, isn't he Mary's son? They didn't even talk to the fact that he was the son of Joseph as far as they knew. And they start talking about his brothers and sisters and how he knew all them. And we understand and know that, that uh, the brothers and sisters of, of, of Jesus are, are the ones who were born to Mary and Joseph. You understand that even though Joseph raised Jesus, he, wasn't, he was not the one who fathered Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God and the Son of Man. And so the Holy Spirit came upon Mary. And so Jesus was born of a virgin. But after Jesus was born, Joseph and Mary had other children, and that's what this text teaches us. And you'll remember this family had gone out in Mark chapter 3, and they went to re 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 receive Jesus and bring him back from where he was because he was clearly out of his mind with the things he was teaching. So the family of Jesus didn't understand. And so he comes back to his hometown where the family's already thinking Jesus is out of his mind. And, and he's so familiar to them that they're not able to receive them, receive him. Because it's hard to receive a familiar Jesus as king. It's hard to receive a familiar Jesus as king. So as he came in, he was so familiar to them. He was just like they were. So how could he be the king? How could he be the one who, who could bring these kinds of freedoms and the, the wisdom that he had? That danger can come for us too. Now, it's very important to realize that God, Emmanuel, God took on flesh and came to live among us. Jesus came to live among us to be a visible expression of the thoughts of God. And so in that way, we can know him. But we run into a danger when Jesus becomes too familiar to us. Because when Jesus becomes too familiar to us, we begin to think that he's just like we are. And that's what happened in Nazareth. He said he's just like we are. And if we begin to think that, then we strip him of his deity. And to reject him in that way is to reject his authority. And then we reject his presence. And you'll see that's what happened here because it says that he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Now why is that? I think the key is found at the end of verse 3 where it says they took offense at him. They took offense at him. 
See, Jesus cannot bring healing into your life if you're offended by him. He can't, he can't step into your life if you're offended by him. If you're offended by him, his message, his truth, the message of love that he brought, the message of repentance that he calls for, because he said the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. If you're offended by that, you will not find the healing that Jesus can bring to you. If you're offended by that, you won't find the freedom from your captivity to sin that Jesus came to secure for you. You reject his authority. And that means you reject his authority as king over your life, but you also reject his authority over over sin, his authority over the demons, his authority over illness, his authority over all of creation. When, you, when, you, when Jesus becomes too familiar to you and you reject his presence, you reject his authority. So are there any ways that you've done that? How, how have I rejected or received the presence of Jesus? And how have we as a community? Because this passage talks about this entire community doing that. How about as a church? Is there any way that, that Jesus has become too familiar to us? And I hope you understand what I mean by that. The second thing we see is that we can reject or receive the message of the kingdom. Because as, as Jesus leaves the town, marveling at the fact that they wouldn't even come to him for healing, because that's what happens when you're offended by him, you won't come to him. He went around teaching from village to village, and he called the twelve to himself these 12 that he had called to be with him. And, and he had called them to be with, them, with him so that he could send them out, and he called them again. And he said, come and be with me because I need to send you out. And from that we see that the message goes out through those who've been with the king. The message goes out with those who've been with the king. But the message can be received or rejected. Now, Mark chapter 3, you remember when we looked at this, it says that, um, uh, let's see, yeah, he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have the authority to drive out demons. So you'll remember we talked about how he called them to be with him so that he could send them away from him. And so the very fact that Jesus calls people to be with him so that he can send them. We have been saved to be sent. And so he begins to do that, and he, he calls the 12 together and begins to send them out two by two. And that's really interesting to me. You, you can imagine these 12 guys, they've been traveling with him. They've been watching him. They've been in the boat with him. They've been, they've been marveling. And most of the time, they watch him, and they're just amazed. And they're, and they're confused a lot of times by what he's doing. They don't really quite understand this thing all the way yet. And now all of a sudden, Jesus calls them and says, okay, you and you, you and you, you're, you're partnering up and you're going out. Okay, you go to that village, you go to that village, you go to that village, and you do what you've seen me doing. And they're like, well, what we've seen you doing is going around getting, you know, every, nobody likes you. Is, is that what you want, you know? Now, it's interesting. We've got to be careful 
when we look at Scripture, not to take passages that are descriptive and make them prescriptive, okay? What does that mean? This is a passage that describes what Jesus was doing with the 12 at this moment in time. It does not mean that every time you need to go witness, you need to go do that with somebody else. It's not the prescriptive way. It's not Jesus saying, this is the way you must do this all the time. So if you're getting your hair cut and the the person who's cutting your hair says, what do you think about Jesus? You don't say, wait a minute, I've got to go get a friend. Okay? So it's not prescriptive. But it's descriptive of one way that Jesus used to have the message go forward. What's exciting about this is two weeks ago, we had opportunity to send our young people off, and they went and did this. And so one of the young men, Matthew, was talking to me about it, and I said, oh, Matthew, you've got to come tell the congregation about that. He said, we're not going to be here this weekend. I said, change your plans. He said, how about a video? I said, that'd be great, Matthew. Hello, Calvary Community Church. My name is Matthew Quick. I have been attending Calvary for all of my life. Um, I love it here, and I had the opportunity a week ago to go to Chicago on a missions trip through the youth program that we have here. It was a really awesome experience, and I learned a lot, and I think all of my friends that went learned a lot. One of the awesome points that they had on the trip was how important it was to go out and share your faith, of course, being a missions trip. And the way that we did that on the trip was going out two by two, just as Jesus sent out his disciples in the book of Mark. Um, And going out two by two was definitely a cool experience for me. They spent about four hours each day training us how to go out and share our faith with somebody with you, as well as another four hours in each day actually going out to share your faith in different places, such as uh, some of us went to the beach, some of us uh, just went and walked around the streets. I believe some groups went to even the zoo, just anywhere in Chicago, going out two by two, you and another Christian right alongside of you. And it was really awesome. We had a lot of conversations with a lot of different people, um, some of which were totally open to what we had to say, and some of, us, some of them were totally closed off to what we had to say. But either way, there were a lot of gospel seeds planted in people, and it was really good. One of the conversations uh, me and my friend Dana Robacheski had with this one man was just totally, totally awesome. He was telling us um, a lot about the gospel, Um, that we already knew, um, but we were able to share with him more about it, um, more about what Jesus Christ is. And I'm not sure if he completely accepted it or not, but we've been praying for him ever since. And it was just a really cool experience to go out there, you and another friend with the Holy Spirit empowering you to just share the gospel with the authority um, that God gives. And it was just a really cool experience, and I'm just so glad I got to do it. And going out and sharing the gospel in pairs, two by two, is definitely definitely a very effective way of sharing the Christian faith. Now that's pretty cool. For him, 2,000 years later, to say, this works. It's going out two by two. Tess, you did that, right? Kelly, you did that? Anybody else? Was there anybody else here who was on that trip? Is that you, Henry? All right. So, Okay. Imagine that I come up to you and I say, we're doing a sign-up for people who are going two-by-two into the city of Chicago to tell people the message of repentance. You know, 
who wants to come up? It's like, oh, man. Yeah, amen. All right, so, but we think about that because the message, you see, brings judgment as well as salvation. The message brings judgment as well as salvation. So the message that we have and the message that Matthew and the rest took is this message of hope. Because we need to remember the message that Jesus has, first and foremost, is a message of love and hope. It's a message of forgiveness. It's a message of freedom. It's, it's the message of the gospel is the message that you can be set free from that which holds you in bondage. And that which holds you in bondage is sin, which brings the wrath of God into your life. And you can be free from that. That's the message of the gospel. <laughs> and it's, it's a wonderful message. And it's the message of salvation, but it also brings judgment. And people have an opportunity to receive or reject that. And you start to think about, what does it take to, to have the, the courage to begin to do this? Ooh. I mean, Kelly, were you like the first time, like, I'm, I'm going, man. You know, I mean, I can imagine the disciples looking at Jesus and saying, really? Why don't we learn a little bit more before we go, you know? And of course, that will come. I think it depends on how we look at this. And I've used this illustration before, but it's so powerful that I think we need to look at it as many times as we can to keep it fresh in our minds. Karen was making cookies for the patriotic celebration because afterwards we're going to have a meal. And she was going to make some cookies and she didn't have any butter. And so she came out and I'm painting windows in the garage and she said, I need butter. I go, yeah. She goes, it's 11.30 on Saturday morning on July 4th weekend. You know what Walmart's going to be like? I say, yeah. <laughs> Try Aldi's. <laughs> now see, this particular time, Karen didn't ask me to go. But now she's got an opportunity she can think one of two things. She can think, i got to go to Walmart and get this butter. Or she can think, I get to go to Walmart and get this butter. Right? One letter, we've looked at this before. i got to go to Walmart. I get to go to Walmart. Look at the difference that makes. Just in the way you hold yourself, in the way you think about it. See, I get to go to get butter so I can make these cookies and be a blessing to the people who are going to be coming and eating them if Chuck leaves any of them. And, you know, as you, as you think about that, this message has been entrusted to us for this generation. We get to do this. See, these 12, these 12, these are the 12 that he, he chose. He brought them out and he called them so that he could send them. He, they got to go and do this. They get to go do this. They, it's an amazing thing and it's the same for us. We've been entrusted with the truth of the message of freedom and we get to take it out. And it's going to be received by some and it's going to be rejected by some. But that's not our deal. Jesus said, when you, when you go in and you preach the repentance, once, once you've preached it, how they respond is up to them. Shake your sandals and walk away. Let the Holy Spirit convict. Let the Holy Spirit do the work. Our job is to tell. It's not to convince. It's not to convict. It's not that we're just supposed to be witnesses. And so we get to do that.
The interesting thing is once we do that, once that message has been given, the Holy Spirit begins convicting. Because that message of repentance, that message of repentance is a convicting message. And we see that in our next section. People can receive or reject the, convincing, the convicting call for repentance. That next section, it talks about the death of John the Baptist. And there's all sorts of things in John, in John the Baptist's death that are very important. And, and John came as a forerunner of Jesus. And in so many ways, he, he went ahead of Jesus in certain things. He... You know, because Jesus followed after him. And so John was the first one to come, and he was the first one to begin preaching repentance. Then Jesus came and preached repentance. He was the first one to be handed over. Okay, he was handed over to, to Herod, and Jesus would be handed over to Pilate. And his death gives all these things. He was, he was, um, he was, he was put to death as an innocent man, just as Jesus would be put to death in innocence. He was put to death by someone who believed he was innocent, but put him to death anyway because he feared what the people would say. And so in that way, his death is similar to Jesus's as well. And so we see in so many ways, even though John the Baptist considered himself un, un, uh, uh, unqualified to even tie Jesus's sandals, in so many ways, the way that John the Baptist lived out his life by God's design, it foretold what would be happening to Jesus. But as we look at this passage today, I want us to, to stop and consider the truth of the fact that the call for repentance can be either accepted or received. Now, we, we know from chapter 1 of Mark that John the Baptist, chapter 1, verse 4, appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. So John the Baptist came to preach the message of repentance and forgiveness. And that's what he came to preach. We, we know in Luke chapter 3, verse 19, John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done. Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. So we know that John had come to a place where he had somehow, someway, got in touch with Herod and Herodias and put his finger on some stuff in their life that was sinful. Right Now, when we stop and think about John the Baptist, you probably all get a picture in your mind, Right? Uh, of who he was, you know, and you, you think, you know, the descriptions in Scripture kind of leave us to this place where we, we kind of can get this, this image of a really angry man who's like unkempt and all this and like, you know, repent, repent, you know, and that type of thing. But, but listen, the, the message of the kingdom is a message of love, right? For God so loved the world. Lynn, you played that so beautifully for us during communion. God so loved the world that he gave his son. And, and so the call to repentance is not a call for judgment on our part. It's not for us to, to, to pound on people. And, and I don't think that's what John did with Herod because it tells us here in our text in verse 20 that when Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. So what was the conversation like if he liked to listen to John? Okay, do you have, do you have friends you talk to who, who are far from God and, and you're able to have conversations and they like to have their conversations? They're puzzled by it because they don't know the Lord and so they're not quite sure what it is you're talking about. But you have conversations that say, you know, 
I don't do these things in my life. Why don't you do those things? I don't do these things because they're things that are displeasing to God and, and they're things that are apart from who he designed for me to be. And I believe as John would talk with Herod, he'd say, Herod, you're the ruler of a segment of Israel, and, and your responsibility and these things that are in your life are out of place. They're sinful, and Herodias had nothing to do with that. It's interesting. All through here, what I see is pride. Herodias nursed judge, uh, grudge against John. Oh, you know, and, and all these different things, and then the, the dancing, and all this is all prideful things. And, and see, when, when pride is confronted... It either, it either allows a person to receive or reject the repentance that comes because pride places us in absolute opposition to God. I googled pride just to see what the common current thoughts are of pride. Wikipedia Encyclopedia Pride is an inwardly directed emotion that carries two antithetical meanings. With a negative connotation, pride refers to foolishly and irrationally corrupt sense of one's personal value, status, or accomplishments used synonymously with hubris. So this is arrogance, you know, what we would define pride as. Is pride is saying, it's all about me, okay? E-G-O, you know, ego edging God out, that type of thing. With a positive connotation, pride refers to a humble pride refers to a humble and content sense of attachment towards one own or another's choices or actions toward a whole group of people and is a product of praise, independence, self-reflection and fulfilled feeling of belonging. You see, what's happening is pride is being redefined. Pride is being redefined. And, and for, for Herod, we see the same type of redefinition. And we see Herod wanting the lifestyle that he had and Herodias wanting the lifestyle that they had. And it's the same today as, as we choose lifestyles that we know are are absolutely opposed to God's design. As we choose those lifestyles, we know that those are apart from God's design. Herod, Herod thought that the best thing to do was to silence the voice that was calling for repentance. See, if we silence the voice that's calling for repentance, then what we're doing isn't wrong anymore. And today, people are trying to silence the voice of Scripture by redefining what pride is and redefining what it means and what it looks like. And we believe in our culture that if we redefine pride and if we change it for what it is, if we can silence the voice that's calling for repentance, then it won't be wrong anymore. Wikipedia goes on to say that some world religions consider pride uh, a form of sin, in Christianity, pride is one of the deadly sins. When viewed as a virtue, this isn't the case. Well, that's true. <laughs> so we look at it. Silencing the voice 
that calls us to repentance allows us to believe that what we're doing is okay. But what happened was Herod silenced the voice. Herodias silenced the voice and killed John the Baptist. And as soon as Herod heard that, John the, or that Jesus was out and that the disciples were out, the very first thing that came to his mind, it wasn't that it was a prophet, it wasn't that it was Elijah, it was, it is John the Baptist. John the Baptist has come back from the dead. It's the same message. The message that I thought I killed is still alive. It's still calling for repentance. You see, there's still guilt there. Once you've been confronted with your sin, if you don't repent from your sin, you will carry that feeling, that guilt, that shame. But the message of the kingdom is a message that sets you free from that. Herod believed with all his heart that John the Baptist had been raised again because he hadn't repented. Caused me to ask these questions. Have I rejected or received the convicting call for repentance? How about our leaders? Herod was a leader, and he didn't repent. How about me as a leader? Is there anything in my life? Leaders, if you're a leader, wherever you are, is there anything that you haven't repented of? Has, has the message of the gospel put its finger on something in your life? How about us as a church? Are there things that are, that are here? Now, why is that important? Not so there's a huge hand of judgment. No, so that we're able to experience the freedom that comes from turning from those things that hold us in bondage. Now, for me, ah, uh, I need tools for this. It's all too easy for me to convince myself, just like Herod, just like everybody else, that I'm okay. I look over the, you know, I think, yeah, yeah, I'm all right. I'm better than Jim, so I'm good, you know? I mean, right, yeah, yeah, right, whatever. So, revive our hearts, Nancy Lee DeMoss. There's a, a sheet here of almost 50 things, I think it is. Questions that you can ask yourself. And these are questions that I keep in front of me. Why? Well, you know, there's times I read this list and I feel judged. I feel like, oh, that's judgmental. This is a judgmental document. Okay? You know what's at the core of that? Pride. Okay? This isn't meant to be take this home and check it off and don't come back until you can get every one of these right. That's not what this is. I want to call you. If you know the Lord, ask yourself these questions and just sit with him a while and see what he has to say to you because I love you and I want to see you set free from the things that hold you in bondage. And if you have things in your life that are unrepentant, you're in bondage. And it weighs you down. And it keeps you from being effective. And it keeps you from being obedient. And it keeps us from moving forward with the message of freedom. The message of freedom is best displayed through those who live lives of freedom themselves.
So are there any ways I've rejected the presence, the message, or the call to repentance? And what active steps of obedience do I need to take? Oh, Lord God. I know even as, uh, even as I put this list in the bulletin, I thought, there's going to be people who step into feeling judged by this. Lord, I'm going to let you deal with that. My heart is that we could come, become a people who live free, who are able to repent of the things that keep us from experiencing all that you long for us to experience, that keep us from the obedience that you've called us to. Lord, this world is not our home, but it is so attractive to us, and we grab onto it in ways that hurt our effectiveness for you. Draw us to repentance in that, Lord. Draw me to repentance in that that we can live our lives fully engaged with the message of the cross, the message of the kingdom. Love you, Lord, and we pray this in your name. Amen.